Okay, welcome to uh, the In That Number podcast. This is episode one. I'm Kerr Hall, and I'm pleased to say that I'm joined with St. Johnson legend, Roddy Grant. How are you getting on, Roddy? I'm fine, Kerr. Fine. I, see, I don't know if I'm a legend anymore. Well, I, I think I, there's a new batch of who's overtaken everything. I was just about to say that. I say legend, but I think you've been probably 18th or 19th in the queue now. You've been trumped by the class of 21. I'd be happy with that, 18th or 19th. <laughs> um, so we'll just get into it, Roddy. Um, mm. You were born in Gloucester. Yeah. Was it because your, well, your dad was playing for Gloucester City at the time, wasn't he? Well, he was playing me, we moved down south because my dad was playing with Lake Orient. And um, obviously he left there um, and they moved out to Gloucester where he, he started to play with Chelmsford City and had a reasonable uh, career there and went on to manage them. Um, and then obviously things happened, developed, we moved back up the road. Uh, um, and the rest is history, basically. So you were, you were at school up here then? Yep, started off at um, Riverside Primary School in Livingston. Uh, we were one of the first families to move to Livingston as it'd been a new town, um, mm. overspilled from Glasgow and Edinburgh. And uh, obviously they went to a primary school called Riverside, where I'm still to this day um, friendly with probably a good 20-30% of the people I was at school with. So did you play? Boys club, or did you play school football before you played boys club? Or well, in those days, you had to play school football. Um, if you didn't play school, if you if you didn't play with the school team, you weren't allowed to play with your juvenile team. Um, and I think that's a, that was mainly right across the world. So the first port of call was playing for your school, and then obviously on a Saturday or Sunday you would then go and play with your amateur side or your juvenile side, whichever way you wanted to call it. But there was actually you're probably playing about three times with well three times at the weekend, one with the school. One my game on a Saturday with a juvenile side and one obviously on a Sunday with a juvenile side. And when you were playing with your school in the juvenile side, when did it become apparent that you know you were maybe better than the rest of the boys you were playing with and you could maybe this could maybe be a career for you? Well, I got into the school team in primary three. Um, um, I don't know why it was. I was playing with a very successful um, juvenile side um, called Pumpson Juniors. Juvenile, sorry. Um, we got all the way to the Scottish Cup final. So I would probably been about started off about six or seven, um, and obviously it was playing primary three. I got asked to play in the school team, which I was playing against well guys who were probably twelve, thirteen, whatever. Um, and it was probably about then I started to develop. Saying, Do you know those people asking questions about blah 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 blah? blah. Who, who's this guy? What's he doing? Who's he playing with? It's just like the the normal scenario that happens with footballers when they're they're going through the the, the ages of um, schooling and then obviously it develops into high school and things like that. So when was it that Cowden Beef came in for you? Well, there was a wee story there. My father was, uh, um, he was very, very strict. Um, when I was about 12, 13, 14, probably 15, there was a lot of clubs wanting me um, to sign. And my dad was obviously, he was a miner um, and he was an electrician down the pits. And basically what happened was, <clears throat> He had left the pits and packed in his um, trade and signed with Rangers. Um, so obviously he'd meet up with guys like John Gregg, John Baxter, people like that at Edinburgh at Haymarket to travel through. Um, he played a couple of first team games, but I think he was up against guys like Jimmy Miller, Ralphie Brand and people like that. So he never really got a chance or it probably wasn't good enough at that time with the team that Rangers had. So he then obviously became a journeyman in football, but he'd always said to me, um, going through my career, 
he says, you'll not be going full-time um, until you get a trade. And if you get a trade when you leave school, you'll be sticking at your trade. Um, you'll not be ch chucking it in like he did, because it was always something that he would always say, it was always, oh, there would always be something to fall back on. So basically, when I was about 15, 14, 15, I was playing with the high school, Craigslist High School, um, and uh, doing quite well, reasonably well. Obviously, schoolboys football came into it. Played with Scottish schoolboys, went for the trials, got picked to play for the schoolboys, but as like everyone else, I was a bit of a rogue at school. And um, the school basically withdrew me from the um, Scotland squad under 15s of schoolboys. So basically, as you probably imagine, I wasn't too happy. Um, so school became very less apparent to me. It was, wasn't high on the list of priorities. So I eventually left school and uh, earlier than I probably should have. Um, and got a trade, got a job as a stonemason. It was that point there that probably about 16, 17, um, Cowden Beath came in, part-time team, and my dad says, do you know, it's fine. Um, I knew there was a bit of interest from um, Hearts, Hibs, Rangers, um, Dundee United, um, places like that, Aberdeen. Uh, there was a couple of clubs down south. My dad said, no, he's going to, you know, he was true to his word. Wouldn't allow me to try to go full time until um, I got a trade and finished my trade. Which, in my, to be honest, it was a good education for me playing um, um, football with Cowdenbeath part time, working during the day. Um, wasn't playing against young guys; I was playing against men, and it was a it was sort of a good grounding for me. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons nowadays. I think clubs want to get back to that. Too often now in football up here, especially up here, you actually see. 17-year-olds playing against other 17-year-olds or 19-year-olds playing against 19-year-olds so they're not getting they're not learning the dirty side of the game it becomes you outgrow that and you have to at some point go and play against men and as i say cowden beef that's what i was doing every week week in week out well that was going to be my next question actually was do you think that that's the best route for boys or it should be the best route for boys because as you were saying and you know it wasn't it were not even like resis you know under 20s mm. that, that seems to be the the, uh, the theme now is that they're playing against guys who are the same age as them, so they're not necessarily getting that, that development that they need. They, they could be a great player playing against boys their own age, but when they're playing against men, it's a totally different story, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think there's two points to that. Yeah, if you look at the way St Johnson do it um, over the last five, six, seven years, there's two ways I look at it. There's players that are late developers, right? Now, I'm talking about late developers, i.e. and now if you look at the team at the present moment, Jason Kerr's a late developer. Liam Gordon was a late developer. Chris Game was a late developer. Um, and there's a few others. And I, what I mean by that is, you know, they, they don't stand out at a young age. So say clubs are making decisions on players like that at the age of 16 year old, right? They would probably, be, they'd be on the borderline whether they'd be getting released or not. But because of St Johnston, what the, the way they've done it, the model they've done it. And I always say that, so you look at the guys like Stevie May went out and loan, right? played against men. Jason Kerr went out and loan. Liam Gordon's been out and loan. Chris Kane's been out and loan. Ali McCann's been out and loan. Do you know, there must be something in that. Yeah. Now, the, the five people I've just mentioned there, I would say at least three or four of them are late developers. Mm -hmm. So there would always be a question mark at that age. Does a club like St Johnson keep them? Or do they just give them a, a contract for a jersey filler, not knowing where the potential is? Or do you put them out and loan and gradually find where their level is. Now all these people I've mentioned there have went out and loan to the lower, lower league clubs and they've excelled. So what you do is you bring them back and you move them up the next year. And it's basically a better way of finding what level they can play at. 
mm-hmm. right? And that's that's one of the biggest things I think um, Steve, as the chairman, has brought in. And I think Callum's big on it as well. You've got to go and play against men as quickly as possible, as soon as possible. It's the only way you're going to learn. I mean, you'll get kicked up and down the place. You, you know, you'll you get elbowed. You'll, you know, but you've got to toughen up and look after yourself. And I think that's one of the reasons that St Johnson has been very successful just now because they're doing. In my opinion, it's only my opinion. They're doing it the right way. They're doing it the way that suits the club. Do you know? So you're running with. You're not just giving. You're not just getting jersey fillers to to fill a team to play the under twenty ones or the under eighteens. Mm-hmm. There's actually eighteen. Under the 18s, you have 11, 12, 13 guys that you think are capable of doing something. And I think that's come right through. I mean, Alistair Stevens is probably the best example there is to, to deal with things like that. He knows exactly, you know, it's a horrible, horrible time for people like Alistair when you've got to release players and things like that. But he seems to get it right more often than he gets it wrong. Do you think Saints are very good at giving boys time? Because obviously, the late developer point you're talking about, there are many clubs up and down the country who, if you hadn't, you know, you weren't maybe mm. cutting it at 21, 22, mm. as some of these boys weren't that you would mentioned. They would get rid of them. Well, exactly. I mean, that's that's the point uh, I've always said. I mean, you look at you look at teams now, saying, oh, I've got a young boy playing centre-half. He's 24. When I was growing up and people around my era, if you weren't playing first-team football at 18, 19, you were chatting the manager's door. Now, nowadays, players are quite happy to sit Right, and bide their time. But before you know it, they're 22, 23, and their careers are passing them by. Yeah. Do you know, the early you get in and the early you play against men, as I keep saying, is, in my opinion, the best way. And I think, to go back to your question, I think, being really honest, I think St Johnston are a model for it because they do, they do give people time. But there comes a time when a player has to take the loan himself. If he's not playing first-team football, there's no point in sitting on a bench all uh, all season, yeah. right? If you think you're good enough, go out and play, right? And going back to your question again, when you look at, there's so many clubs that let players go so, you know, too early and they go away and they excel somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And that's where the, the fine line is. You've got to be able to try and identify it. You've got to say, do you know what? He could be a late developer. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And I think that's a big issue in Scottish football. I suppose a great point though, isn't it? So there's, you know, the majority of our, not majority of our team, there's a few players in our team who have been released, Jamie McCart, for example, yeah. Liam Gordon, mm-hmm. I mean, you can't tell me Liam Gordon's not good enough, to, yeah. he was at Hearts, wasn't he, so mm-hmm. he would, he'd walk yeah. in the Hearts team just now, yeah. there's a few boys like that that are, as you say, that are just, that were yeah. let go too early, and yeah. but now they're, now they're excelling. Well, that's what I'm saying, Saints. because we become late developers, and yeah. that's where clubs, I've got to take a gamble, and he's saying, do you know what, well, I mean, one of the ones you can look at is a wee boy, Aaron Hickey at Hearts, um, I was listening to Craig Levine saying something. The wee boy Josh Doig, um, who's now at Hibs, he was at Hearts first, but he was understudy to basically Aaron Hickey. So basically what happened is, Hearts knew they had Aaron, Aaron Hickey, right? So they released the boy Doig. Mm-hmm. So the boy Doig comes up to St Johnston, trains for a couple of weeks, then goes to Hibs. And within a year, he's playing first-team football with Hibs at left-back. Yeah, touted for £4 million moves. That's, yeah. that, that's where... I mean, Hearts will be kicking themselves, but Hibs will be jumping through hoops. Yeah. Because that's there is people out there, mm-hmm. do you know, that, that I see are maybe late developers that are worth a punt. Mm-hmm. So going back to uh, Cowan Beath for yourself, mm-hmm. um, you scored almost a goal every two games for Cowan Beath. Did you know that? 
I didn't actually know that. Um, which got you to move to St Johnson in 1989? Mm-hmm. How, how did it? Who phoned you? How did it come about? Well, it was quite funny. In those days, um, we were playing. Um, uh, well, Cowden Beath had the reserve side and the first team side. But what would happen was most of the first team would have to play the reserves to fulfil the fixtures. And I was playing with uh, the reserves against Clyde Bank in the Reserve League Cup. Um, so we were actually on the bus coming back. And I think the manager at the time, John Brownlee, had called him over and said, listen, um, the club's accepting an offer, offer from St Johnston and uh, it's up to you if you want to go. So what usually happens is I got a phone call from their manager the next game. I was at work and West called at Stonemason and uh, I talked to phone me and he asked me if I wanted to meet him at a hotel in Blackburn, um, which is just along the road from Whitburn where I was working. And uh, I said yes, went along there and what they say is the rest is history. So as you just mentioned Alex Totten there, the most memorable game that people remember most about that period was the Airdrie game. It's been it's been mentioned time time and time again. It's been well documented that many Saints fans say that that was considered the, one of the best games ever. Why do you feel like that was so significant at, at that time? I just think it was a, the style of football that we were playing. Um, the occasion was all built up, it was a great day, there was 10,000 folk there, the weather was magnificent, but we were flying, we were absolutely flying. We played a system where we played with three, three up top, Alan Moore, Masquerade and myself. I'd been in the middle and they two would be doing the flanks, doing all the running and whatever. We played with three in the middle of the park, right, and we played four at the back. Um, three in the middle of the park were all goal scorers, right, and do you know, it was just one of these games Right from the start, there was a lot of nervous energy getting lost in the changing rooms. The adrenaline was pumping. Um, and basically, there was no change. We were part-time at the time, and uh, they were full-time. It made no difference whatsoever because we were so fit. And believe it or not, probably don't believe me saying that, but we were so, so <laughs> fit. But, because we trained on Tuesday and Thursday, um, and the style of play we played was so attractive to watch. If we went one hand down, the heads never went down. If we went two hand down, the heads never went down. As long as we scored more goals than the the team we were playing against, um, that's the way the style of play that we, that we wanted to be. Well, it was always great to get clean sheets and things like that, but if somebody scored three and we scored four, we'd be delighted because we got the three points. But going back to the actual game itself, um, I always remember the very start of it. Um, we set the pace. It was like... Alex Taunt's favourite words was always like, you've got to be like Greyhounds at a trap. And we certainly were. Do you know, we had hit the post about three times and I had missed a chance. Stephen Maskey had missed a chance. We Moore had missed a chance. It was just like a, the Alamo. It was just, we were just absolutely bombarding the area for fun. Then obviously what happens, we're going to half time, nil nil. Come out and lo and behold, the boy Stevie Gray scores a wonder goal in the top corner. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of other teams probably heads would have crumbled. Um, but it sort of gave us a second wind. So we just kept on doing what we were doing, didn't change anything, kept on playing the way we were playing. Obviously we get the penalty, Mark Trainer scores it, and uh, I get the free kick, I get the header in, so we're 2-1 up with a couple of minutes to go. Then obviously we Wardy comes on and makes it 3-1. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was just it was just a fantastic occasion. And do you know, I don't know anybody that was at the game, and I think even the Airdrie fans were saying it was just an absolute spectacle to watch, it was fantastic. But that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, the style of play that was adopted when we first moved to McDermott Park. It was a big pitch and Alec Tong always wanted to play with three up three up top. 
you play with three up top, you cause you cause other team problems because what do they do? They match up or they pull somebody else back, they pull somebody else back, you gain possession somewhere else in the park. So it was it was a great team to play in and it was a great style to play to watch. So going back to what you've just said, it was no surprise to you then that they won the league eventually? Well I think I think that game that game obviously we, we became on such a high after that. Um we'd caught here with the game in hand. Um, so I think that was I mean, the people say it was the league decider. It wasn't really the league decider. It was just made us more comfortable. But we just continued the momentum that we had from then on into the end of the season and obviously became one of the winners of the league. Against an airside who were, you know, they were both competing for the league at that time. Mm. They were, you know, not rivalry, but there was a, there was a wee bit of, of a bite between the two teams. Yeah, there was, I think, a, a couple of years previous to that, um, St Johnson and Air United were always vying for the... Um, promotion spots um, I think uh, Air won the league one year and then St Johnson won it the next game year whatever so there was always a, a bit of rivalry there uh, rivalry there with the, the two clubs but there was nothing malice about it and obviously the last game at uh, Mutant Park Air United came up and uh, beat us one nothing mm-hmm. um, and uh, I'm sure you agree the other highlight of that of your first spell at Saints was the 5-0 game against Aberdeen yeah, um, scored twice. I scored twice, and I actually ran away for Brian Oven. <laughs> uh, first time in my life I've done that. Um, but to be fair, that was uh, that was another game. Again, Aberdeen couldn't handle the three up front. Myself, Murray, Massey. Not just the three of us, but obviously Harry Curran in the middle of the park. On the turn. People were wanting to break forward all the time. Do you know? And I think David Robertson was left by. He got sent off for two for trying to kick with Murray. Just couldn't catch him. And it just, it was just, I mean, no disrespect to Aberdeen, they were a great side in the days, and it was five and a half coming on eight and a half. Mm-hmm. They were like, I remember speaking to, I think it was McLeish after the game, and said, oh, they're lucky, they, well, they're quite happy to go up the road with five, because it was an absolute battering. And that, I think that sort of made its mark. A lot of clubs in the Premier League at that time said, wait a minute, these these guys, made, you know, they've just come up for the, the, for the championship, but, you know, we've got to treat them a wee bit more respect. And a couple more seasons um, for Saints for your first spell at that time, and then uh, you moved to Dunfermline. How, yep. did that, how did that come about? Okay, it was just a. It was one of these things where um, uh, Alec Taunton obviously wanted to freshen things up, so he wanted to go the Andy Rhodes and myself and Lindsay Hamilton were going to go another way. I was never very comfortable going there from the start, um, but problem is if you're not wanted somewhere, uh, as I was just saying earlier on, there you want to go and play football. So I went to Dunfermline, uh, Jockey Scott was the manager, probably didn't see eye to eye with him and just didn't enjoy my time there and basically asked for a free at the end of the year. I still, I still had a year left my contract so I asked for a free and I got it. And then you moved to Paddy Thistle after that. Yeah. You came, you, you played Saints uh, for Hill and scored a hat-trick against them. I did, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I always like to try and prove people wrong but, um, I, I, yeah, um, basically, went out, uh, part of a good side at the time with a, a lot of streetwise players and uh, to score a hat against St Johnston. Do you know, it's that long ago now, but I do remember it was a, um, I didn't really celebrate many goals to be honest, um, but it got me moved back to Perth, so I was delighted. That must have contributed to you to signing you again. Well, it was because um, I got a phone call, uh, I think it was about three days later, from a friend um, and then Paul Sturrock asked me, uh, to come, um, so I managed to come up the road and uh, speak to him, and the deal was done. 
and uh, speaking of Apostolic, like you were promoted in 1997 under Luggy. Um, you were the top scorer in the league that season, mm-hmm. player of the league. Um, and I've 7-2 victory against Dundee to boot. As far as seasons go, it's not too bad. Yeah, it was a good year. Um, the 7-2 game was very memorable. I think, uh, again, we absolutely destroyed them. Um, There's a lot of fans that say that it was seven goal on seventeen. Yeah, it was just, everyone just clicked. You know, it was just it was a fa- fantastic occasion. Obviously, there's a wee bit of rivalry um, between the two clubs, but oh, no, it was uh, it was a great great um, performance that day. I remember it was freezing cold, but it was, I'm sure it was one of the only games it was on because of the the weather. But uh, we certainly ran out with the winners. Um, obviously, getting the player of the year, um, first of championship player of the year. Was obviously an added bonus, um, and obviously you win the league, finish top goal scorer. I was delighted. And there was another season under um, Paul. Where you got when he left eventually. Yeah, it was because I think he he done a lot for me. He, he made me more a professional footballer. Um, he was great to work with as a striker. Um, I think you can ask any of the strikers that played under him. Um, he was fantastic. He'd tell you when to move, when not to move. It just made you. I mean, it, it explained things to. People in a different way about strikers. Do you know being a striker is not all about scoring goals. It's about you know keeping the ball linking up. Because if you don't link up, you don't get up the park. If you don't get up the park, you don't score goals. Mm-hmm. Do you know? And it put a different a, a, a different thing in, in my head about being what a striker was. But he liked the big uh, uh, rugged centre halves, hip men, hip uh, centre forwards, like a target man or whatever. I mean, he was playing with Dodd, Billy, uh, David Dodds at Dungeon United and. I think he liked that kind of combination, myself and George, or George and another big guy, whatever. But that was always what it was. It was always a target man, somebody could link up and somebody uh, could feed off them. And they're back in the first division after they've been promoted. Um, Saints clinched Europe um, for the first time since the early 70s, along with a third-place finish. It must have been brilliant to be part of that. It was. Uh, considering um, that's the only thing I'd probably say um, that season to finish third where Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Aberdeen, Dundee United, Hibs, teams, to finish third with the standard of players that was playing on those days at Rangers, Celtic and all these big clubs, right, was a fantastic achievement for the club. Absolute fantastic achievement. Going going right to the last game, well, it was two games to go. Um, our second last game was down at Kilmarnock. I think we were a point behind. So we went down there knowing that their last game was at Ibrox against Rangers mm-hmm. and our last game was against Dundee. So we went down to Kilmarnock um, and uh, took something from the game or didn't get beat. We knew the chances of us finishing third was greater because obviously we were playing Dundee and Kilmarnock were at uh, Ibrox, which panned out the right way. Um, I remember the game, the final game when Kendall scored. Um, there was about five or six years injured. Um, we're all sitting in the stand and uh, basically what happened was we're all due to get operations no long after it um, but when Kano scored there was no d- <laughs> there was stitches popping everywhere but you know it was just it was just a fantastic occasion it was great for the town as well great for the town you, you touched on some of the players that were at Rangers Celtic that time you know, previously before the third place was clinched they played Rangers in the League Cup final after being Hearts in the semi mm-hmm. When you look at the Rangers team at that team, that, that was always going to be a tough ask, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I think they gave us an absolute hiding. It was 7 uh, nothing, wasn't it? And we did with Panama and got sent off. I remember Sandy Clark coming in, he made us watch the game and uh, the next game day, and he, he was just, we were, 
it was just surreal. Um, do you know Rangers? Everyone, the boy Givash, who was a World Cup winner, I think he scored a hat trick or whatever. But basically, we just were rewatching the game and some of the stuff that Sandy was saying, i.e., like, do you know what? Oh, if we'd cut that out there, that goal wouldn't happen. <laughs> it was just like there were seven excuses for seven goals, yeah. just clutching at straws, eh? So um, it was an absolute doing. In fact, it wasn't a game; it was a shame. It was just one of these things. I mean, sometimes you've got to take when teams like Rangers or Celtic click. Sometimes you can't stand back and admire them, but you just need to say, do you know what? Yeah, fair play. So after knocking out uh, VPS Vasa, um, what, what did you make it draw on a team like Monaco and the, right. and the players they had as well? Right. Well, another story. You probably don't find this funny. You probably didn't come with teletext. Is basically what had happened was um, we'd finished training and uh, the draw was getting made, and then obviously in those days you could only find out who the draw was, who you're playing via teletext. Uh-huh. So teletext had about like say six hundred pages, right? So if you missed one page, you just couldn't go back to the previous page. Yeah, yeah. So you had to like to go all the way around, which was probably <laughs> half an hour. Yeah, okay. So I think there was we were all in the players' lounge with the telly on, and uh, I think I can't remember. West Ham sticks in my mind, right? But there was West Ham. I think it was West Ham. There was Monaco, and there was somebody else. So the draw came round. And by the time the draw was down to St Johnston, uh-huh. it flipped the page. <laughs> so we had to wait another. <laughs> so wait again. So when it came round it, obviously, you can imagine when obviously we drew uh, Monaco, uh, we're all jumping about in, um, in, the, in the players' lounge. As you say, the, the players they had, you know, it was just, it was just, it was an experience. Uh-huh. Well, just to name a few, Bartes, Marquez, uh, Daryl Perzo, John Arisa, and David Trezeguet were playing for Monaco at that time. Mm-hmm. After a heavy 3-0 defeat away from home, yep. was the message always just to go out and make a good account of yourselves at Medellin? Yeah, of course it was. I think the, the, the tie was lost. Um, but the French TV covered it as well, so I think the club was happy. We got a wee bit of money. But, you know, it was, it was an experience. And obviously it was my testimonial year as well, so I ended up getting a few strips, obviously, Trezeguet mm-hmm. and Marcus Simone and people like that. So I got... I done all right with it. <laughs> <laughs> You then went on loan to Ayr um, as your time at Saints came to an end. Did you feel at that time um, that you were beginning to wind down your career? Oh, definitely. Um, there was a wee bit of mishap had happened at the club or whatever. Um, I had a run with the manager and it was just made basically clear, you know. Uh, it was better just going to go and try and play football somewhere else uh, for the remainder of my contract, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I down to Ayr. wasn't great. I was travelling a lot. Um, just didn't enjoy it. As I say, sometimes you're happy at places, sometimes you're not. But I, was, I wasn't happy here, I didn't enjoy it, there was too much a turnover of players. Uh, so at the end of that season, I just decided to rip up my contract. And then you move on to Brecon. Yep. Uh, and then finally Peter Head. But I need to ask Dick Campbell, what is what is he actually like? Yeah, Dick's brilliant. Dick's, Dick's a, you know, he sees it as it is, right? Um, he's big on man management which I think is so important in football nowadays. But I'll tell you what, you look at his record, he was a decent manager. He still is a very decent manager. He's one of the funniest guys in the changing room. Um, he just he, he didn't suffer fools gladly. He didn't care what you got up to after the game, what you got up to before the game. But if you played the 90 minutes and you done well from, you'd be on the team next mm-hmm. week. Um, he was great to be under, to be honest. Um, I really enjoyed my two years at weekend. Thoroughly enjoyed it uh, under Dick. Um, enjoyed, scored goals, playing every week. You're um, a bit of a legend there as well, you know. 
oh, well, it was just because you scored goals, probably that's about it. But yeah. no, it was it was very very enjoyable. Then, obviously, I had an accident with my eye. Uh, I took a retina uh, operation. Um, sort of set my back a wee bit. I said to Dick, do you know, and he says, no, I totally understand. Um, it's your it's your sight, do you know, and took time off, and then obviously uh, Peter Head for me. Went up there, just didn't work out. I don't know why I went in the first place, but it didn't work out. And it was just a matter of winding down from there. Going back to your spells at St Johnston, would you say your second spell was was the kind of superior of the two? I think the two of them were, they went hand in hand. I think I achieved just as much in the first season as I did in the second season. Uh, second stint for them. Um, but footballing-wise, I think uh, the teams were very well matched. I think, if I'm being honest, the first... Two seasons, three seasons under that, Totten was probably, it was free-flowing football. Lucky came in, and it's my second stint, was more tactically aware. He would be quite happy to win one nothing every week, 2 nothing, 2-1, whatever. Um, but again, some of the players, you know, that I played with St. Johnson within the two spells were, were absolutely fantastic. They were good, good pros. And that's what, I mean, we used to always, people used to say oh, that you were like ganging strips. Well, what would happen was we would go out, right, and party, but it was our way of bonding. I mean, under Luggy, we were encouraged to do that. It was the same under Alec Tom, we were encouraged to do that. But nights out, probably once a month. Mm-hmm. And you had to go, everybody had to go. I was talking to Danny Griffin about the other day there. You were made to go. If you didn't go, you still you still had to pay for it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it brought a bonding thing between the players. And I see very, very, a lot of similarities just now with the, the present squad. Do you know, there's a great togetherness. I mean, you're in the trenches with them, do you know, and... The, they fight, they fight tooth and nail for you, do you know, and that's that's what you want in football. Do you know, everybody's in it together. If somebody's going through a bad time, there's always somebody that's going to stand up and say, "Come on, let's let's get through here. Let's back them." I'm not talking about I'm talking about on the pitch. Somebody's having a bad game. You rally yeah. around them, do you know, yeah. because sometime during the career or that season, it'll be you, and you're looking around about for help because everybody's helping them again, and that's the two strengths I had. They were very, very similar in that kind of aspect. Do you feel like being pals as well as teammates is crucial to a successful yeah, squad? Yeah, you, 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 you spend the majority of your working life with these guys, mm-hmm. the training. You spend more time with them you do with your life. Yeah. But it's true though, do you know what uh-huh. that's So you have to be, you have to be friendly. I mean, I, I don't think that, I can't remember it ever being a bad egg in any of the changing rooms I was in. I mean, because if these kind of things happen, I know they do happen in changing rooms, and there's always, there might be one, but you, they get found out and they get, they, they egg them out as quickly as possible, eh? Because mm. it's like a virus. Mm. If you've one bad, bad apple, it just rots the basket. Yeah, exactly. So you've got to, and we had, I mean, the teams I was telling you there, I mean, I played with a hell of a lot of good players in the two teams, but there's no egos. Um, it just wasn't allowed. If you were an ego, you were. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. So, so Rory, you're now an associate director at St Johnston. Um, you were there and you saw the club lift the Scottish Cup in twenty fourteen, mm-hmm. and probably like the rest of us, you thought it would never get any better. But this season, how can you how can you sum that up? I, you know, I'm gonna be. I mean, I might get keen for this, but I'm gonna be brutal honest with you, right? This will never happen again, right? I think it's very very sad. It's fantastic what's happened, right? Mm-hmm. Right, but I don't think that group of players, right, will play again. No, in the same. No, I don't the same so. eleven. I think there'll be so much interest in a few of the players, and rightfully so. Yeah, well, well they've, they've earned it. Yeah, they've earned it. Going back to a club like St Johnston to win the double, 
right? It's just unthinkable, right? And I don't care what MD says and we're punching above the weight. No, you don't punch above, you can only beat who's in front of you, right? Mm. But what I will say, we've probably got one of the lowest budgets, right? But it's the way the club run. It's the way the, the, the manager's fitted the players to play his system. And Callum's got to, in my, as I keep saying, Callum's got to take enormous credit for that because at the very start of the season, right, he played a system with high press, with three up, with two up, whatever, but it was high pressing and it wasn't working, right? And he was getting a wee bit, you know, stick for you, certain parts of the media and things like that, but he persevered with it and he persevered with it and he persevered and the players bought into it, right? So at the start, if you look at the stats, we'll get beat 1-0, but we'd, like, I don't know, 25 crosses into the box, right? Mm. One of the scoring goals, yeah. right? So they're working that and things turn around. We're losing goals, late goals. But see if you look throughout the whole season, the mainstay of the team right now is our defence, right? They're miserable now. They're miserable because they've all bought in exactly what Callum wanted and the way to do it. And it's the same with the, uh, whoever plays up front. It's still a high press. So, do you know, full marks to Callum for, you know, persevering with it. And Because a lot of other people have tried something different. But yeah, he wasn't working then. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Because you've got to remember, his job was never on the line, but that's not the way the managers think. I mean, you're only as good as your last games, whatever. And going back to the club, that's one thing about St. Johnson and I'll probably get stick for this, but they don't make rash decisions, right? They give people time. It's a good learning apprenticeship as a manager, right? They move managers on. The players, do you know, the players, I mean, the longevity of some of the players, do you know, we, we must be one of the only clubs, right, that have handed out so many testimonials in the last 10 years, yeah. right? And that's just a credit to the whole club because it's the longevity of the players they're happy to sign the longer contracts and stay where they are. Do you know, it's always been the way at St. Johnson. It's, it's, yeah, if, if, if they're not coming through the youth academy, they're, they're sitting on a testimonial, that's kind of yeah. how it is. Yeah, just now. exactly. I mean, that's 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 that speaks volumes for the club. And that's the way that it's always been. Don't, don't get me wrong, Jeff started it. And Steve's come on and probably taken it to another level of it. And that's another thing that to mention the youth academy as well. It's just the, the, the amount of boys we're producing at the moment. It, is it just a purple patch or is there, is no, there it's not. It's, something it, in the water? It's, it's hard work from Alistair Stevenson. I mean, do you know Alistair Stevenson? He's yeah. got a remarkable, remarkable record um, at every club he's been at. I mean, people talk about the Hibs Dream team with the boys Reardon, Brown and Thompson and Connor. I mean, that was Alistair. Alistair brought them all through. Mm. Do you know? So he's got an eye for talent. And then laterally, Spoonie and yeah. Callum Booth. Callum Booth, yeah. 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 So who's, who's really impressed you this season? Who's, who's been your standout? I know there's been <laughs> there's been all, all of them, really, but... I just think... Personally speaking, I think, in my... There's any of the back three, right? The three centre-backs, in my opinion, have been absolutely outstanding, okay? People quite rightly say, you're going to say, you know, Sean Rooney's done really well, which he has. But remember at the start of the season, he couldn't get in because of Danny McNamara. Now Danny McNamara went away and the club's been good for him because he's got a new deal at Millwall and things like that. So all of them have been brilliant. Then for me personally, I'm absolutely delighted for Kano. Right? It's, as I said earlier on in this interview, being a striker is not all about scoring goals. It's no. about taking knocks. It's about putting your body on the line, um, linking up with people, you know, bringing people into play, getting yourself in the box, getting ready for chances, your work rate. I mean, Kano must be like a bloody wasp, 
right? He doesn't leave people alone. Yeah. You know, people try and swap them away and there's nothing worse than the centre-backs come through the back here and they clip you and whatever. See when you bounce back up, they hate it. They hate it. And I think Kano has been absolutely magnificent at it. This season in particular, I think he's been fantastic. I think as this season's went on, I think when Kano plays to his potential, I think it's been great. When Kano's been injured or whatever, there's not the same kind of momentum yeah. as I'm talking as that, you know. Because they've all got different takes, you know, Stevie's a goal scorer, Guy was a goal scorer, you know, um, whoever else you want to play up there were goal scorers, but Kano had this thing where he shut people down so quickly, he started the press, mm. you know. Mm. And I just think, in my opinion, I think he's been fantastic this year and I'm glad, really glad for him because I like him as a person. And uh, you know, he's just he seemed to enjoy the role. I've never seen I've never seen a striker win so many fouls in my he's just got a knack for, mm-hmm. for getting fouled. He's he's won us he must have won us so many points this season just for calming things down and in the last five minutes, you know, get yeah. gets gets kinda of a bit of pressure off our yeah. backs. Yeah, that's that's good striker play. You know as a striker you're gonna get clattered all the time, but it's how you handle it. And I keep saying that. As soon as you bounce back up, Senna has to go, oh God, he does again. Because no. you know you've just come back from what? I need to, to ask you about Ali McCann. What do you think about his potential now? His potential is fantastic, do you know? But the present moment, that's what it is, potential. Yeah. It's what... Ali will get whatever he wants out of the game. Do you know, if Ali wants to go... How far he goes is completely up to him. I think he's a great talent. And again, a really nice guy, nice boy, do you know? Learned his trade. Again, one of the guys that went away on loan to Stranraer. Now he stayed in Edinburgh, mm-hmm. travelling to Stranraer. Do you know what? It's fantastic. And that, that's been his grounding. Again, the club have they've managed it well. They've managed it well, do you know? I mean, if Ali hadn't uh, got a start last season against Celtic in the first game of the season, what would have happened was Ali would have went back on loan but to a championship club, right? But he was thrown in early, and that's again what I was saying. Young boy, thrown in early, handled it. Now he's now played maybe a hundred odd games under his belt. All the young boys are talking about the back four. Xander, hundred odd games. Gordy, hundred odd games. Jason, hundred odd yeah, games. Carl, hundred odd games. Mm-hmm. They're all young laddies. And that's the mainstay of the team. That's what you build around. And obviously, I mean, I, I hope Ali does leave. I do. I really do for his own career development. Do you know? Mm. Um, I think he would go... I think, I think it's inevitable that somebody will come in. It's whether the price is going to be right. There's a, there's a certain feeling um, amongst fans that these guys, they've, they've never given us something that was thought to be impossible. Mm-hmm. So they can absolutely go and do whatever they like now. Go and make mm-hmm. go make a career for yourself, make loads of money, go and do it because you've given us this and we can't really ask for any, any much, very much more, really. Well, that's another thing. Well, <laughs> you put it in the perspective, okay, right? What, honestly, right, what can St. Johnson do next season? No, they're going to get better. What's happening? Exactly. They're never going to win the league. No, no. So, exactly. So, get a run in Europe, that's great. Yeah. Fantastic. So, you've always got to look forward. Um, but, as I say, I'm delighted for every single one of them. You know, I think they've thoroughly deserved what they've got, the success they've had through a hard-working manager, to the players responding to that. And at the end of the day, people say tactics, systems. Systems don't win games. Players win games. Mm. Do you know? And confidence players win games. You could do anything you want in football, right? 
if you've not got your hearts no in it or whatever, and we've seen this season, their hearts been in it. From the very first game to the very last game, their hearts been in it. And they've just, they would run through a brick wall for anybody. And it's, it's a credit, honestly, it's been great to see. And it's just a pity the fans haven't been able to enjoy the success. There's teams around about St Johnston who you could say have probably had, they've had their history. So, for example, Dundee and Kilmarnock had their time in the 60s. Mm. Dundee United and Aberdeen have had their time in the 80s. That's what they look back on. That's what we've done in our history. But it's as if St Johnston, we are, we are making our history, right? We've never had mm. kind of any, any league titles or even silver to look back on. Right now is the, is the history that we are making and this is what we're going to look back on in 20, 30, 40 years' time. Yeah, but you listen to the, the, the teams you've just said there. Dundee, Dundee United, Kilmarnock, Motherwells. They've got massive budgets compared to St Johnston. So the way that the whole club has worked as a unit, right? From board, manager, players, coaching staff, all the way through, right? It makes it just, I mean, people are saying, do you know, is it, it's probably one of the biggest success stories ever. Scottish football certainly domestically yeah yeah yeah. No, absolutely. I mean uh, I think people are lightening it to Leicester I think it's bigger than that I think it's bigger than that Leicester can compete in the Premiership Leicester can throw money about yeah right up here I know the money's not the same but that achievement domestically is probably the best there is I think there's a lot of journalists saying that as well so we, we've got to remember there's only four teams that's done it and well, two, well, the only one actually the old firm was Aberdeen, who were the best team in the country. Who, who, who did it twice? Yeah, yeah under yeah. the Fergie era. Yeah, do you know? So yeah. that's they just started for ten. So. Yeah, I know. Just to finish up, Rory, a couple of questions. Um, who was the player that you played against that, given the chance, you would have swapped shirts with and hung out on the hung out on your wall? Just the one. Well, one part. Do you want to give give well, give me well, give me three then. Right. Well, well, I was very fortunate. I've always said that. Um, the era that they played in, there was big money in Scottish football, obviously. One of the biggest lessons I ever got in football was playing against Terry Butcher, um, who was England captain at the time for Rangers. Absolutely outstanding human being, absolute outstanding footballer, and an absolute giant of a man. Mm. He must have been about six foot four, and he was hard as nails, and he could play. And I mean he could play. He could switch a ball from 70 to 80 yards with his left foot. You don't become the England captain, right? In a successful England era, right? Mm. If you're a bad player, he was absolutely outstanding. Other one, again, I would have to say, to be on a part of the guy was unbelievable, Paul Gascoigne. Absolutely frightening. And so I'm not being biased here, right? Even <laughs> before this, right? I've always said, one of the other guys that I thought was a fantastic footballer was Paul McStay. Um, uh, Celtic thought he he was way ahead of his time way ahead of his time if he was playing nowadays he'd be raving about him but an absolute maestro in the middle of the park so they would be the three that I've played against domestically do you know on a on a, a season basis yeah. that were just absolutely above and beyond what I've seen that's not bad company that mm. Mm. Um, and finally if you are playing fives tomorrow night who are the other four players so you'd obviously be playing up front who are the other four players you would text for a game? Well, I think Alan May would be the goalie. Um, he was a great, um, fantastic goalkeeper. Um, now, I'm going to go with ability, not pace, right? Because yeah, okay. I always like 
I think football's all about ability. Mm -hmm. It's not about pace. If you want to have pace, I wouldn't sign Usain Bolt. You know, it's not, <laughs> really, half the guys that have got pace just, just open the gates and they run out of the ball. You know, um, so one would be John O'Neill, um, Midel, fantastic footballer. Honestly, one of the most gifted I'd seen. Two-footed, great touch, an eye for a goal, and his work rate was fantastic. Um, you put me on the spot, Nicky. <laughs> um, so you put you put a four four or sorry a two like a, a two, two 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 like goal. Listen, if it's it's a, it's a five aside, but just playing anyway. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with it. Right, what I'm gonna do, right? Take myself out. Of, All right, okay. Right, I'll go. The manager, with, then. Right, I'll go with the, the Edinburgh car. Um, the boys I travelled with Paul Kane, um, Alan Preston, and Alan Kenner. I'd, I'd go for the three. Right, we travelled together. We were friendly. We're still friendly to this day. Um, so that would be my team. And we had some great laughs on the the road up in the car. Mm. Um, some great laughs. That obviously, we couldn't repeat on here, but um, it was just a joy to come into the training. Mm. It was a joy to meet up at the Fourth Road Bridge, right. And for that 40 minutes drive up to my Denver Park, right, honestly, you were nearly peeing your pants laughing, <laughs> you know, do you know, there were certain things that happened in the car that I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to, <laughs> I be able to say, um, but I'm sure if you ask Dave Boys, they would tell you exactly the same, it was, it, it, the Edinburgh car was, <sighs> everybody went, they couldn't handle us, right, we, and I'm not being big-headed in any way, shape or form. That Edinburgh car, in fact, Callum used to get picked up with us as well. Right. Right. We just did, we were off our heads. That's all I want to say, we were off our heads. <laughs> How old was right. Callum at that point? Callum's a young guy. Callum would have been a young guy coming from university. Right, okay. Part-time, so we'd pick him up. Um, but honestly, what a, what a great bunch of boys. And you talk about friends in football, and you talk about people who are willing to do anything for anybody. These guys would run through a brick wall, maybe not biscuits, um, but <laughs> the rest of us certainly would run through a brick wall for Edinburgh. And we'd all help each other out. Um, so that would be my team. Perfect, Roddy. In fact, I'll take Alan Mayne and I'll go and go. Right, okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> right, thanks, Roddy. No problem. Cheers. No problem. Thank you very much.